The reason why I'm titling it Kangaroo Court is because Jesus was tried in a kangaroo court. Uh, And if if you're not familiar with that term, uh, it is a real term. Uh, You can go home and Wikipedia it. Don't get out your phones and Wikipedia now. Um, By the way, did you know Wikipedia was driven by a whole bunch of volunteers? Did you guys know that? Isn't that crazy? But anyway, uh, kangaroo court is, uh, is a type of tribunal, if you will, or, or an assembly of people who uh, come together and they have their own version of a courtroom and they sentence people, but it does not follow the rules and regulations and the laws and the guidelines of the authorities that oversee the state of the union. Does that make sense? Uh, And and that is how Jesus was tried. He was tried in a kangaroo court. It's just the most, when you read it, and we're going to dissect it tonight, it's, it's just ridiculous how they arrested Jesus, what they did with Jesus, uh, and the whole process that they went through. Uh, And just to kind of go to the end of my message and work my way backwards, uh, the only thing that I plan on doing tonight is just kind of painting the scene, paint the scene of what took place uh, just a few hours before he got crucified. Uh, So I'm just going to paint the scene and and, and hopefully, with the help of the Holy Spirit, it'll just cause what Jesus did to just come become more alive. Does that make sense? So let's dive straight into the Word. Mark chapter 14, um, we're going to start reading in verse 53. They took Jesus to the high priest's home. Where the, uh, where the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of the religious law gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and went right into the high priest's court. There he sat with the guards, warming himself by the fire. Inside, the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find evidence against Jesus. So they could put him to death, but they couldn't find any. Many false witnesses spoke against him, but they contradicted each other. Finally, some men stood up and gave this false testimony. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another made without human hands. But even then, they didn't get their story straight. So let me just kind of, I'm just going to camp on what took place uh, from the, the Garden of Gethsemane to the time that Jesus was turned over to Pilate. So let me just rewind a little bit. Uh, So I don't want to make any assumptions that everybody here uh, knows what happened. So I'm going to talk to all of you as if you don't. Does that make sense? Um, So Jesus has uh, 11 of the 12 disciples with him. Um, Judas was not with him. Uh, He was out talking with the authorities And I'm going to get to that in just a second. But Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane with 12 of his disciples. They're in the garden and Jesus is praying. And he's telling 
his father in heaven, is there any possible way this cup can pass from me? In other words, he's 33 years old. He came to the earth to die. He came to die. That's why he came. He he didn't come to turn water into wine. He didn't come to walk on water. He didn't come to heal the blinded eye. He just did that on his way to the cross. It's just what he did. Uh, If you work at Starbucks, you can say that same type of thing at the end of your life. I worked at Starbucks. I made cappuccinos. I made espressos. But that's what you did while you were here. That's not the reason why you were born. Are we all on the same page so far? So Jesus is just way cooler than you and I. He didn't make Starbucks. He healed people. When he lived his life, he touched people, he healed people, he couldn't help it. The Bible says that virtue flowed from him. Like he just couldn't, somebody touched me. You know, when when somebody touched Jesus with faith, virtue flowed from him. But that's not why he came. So now he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's about to do what he came to do. And he is praying to God as he's saying, there, is there any other way we can accomplish um, our goal without me having to go to the cross? And he's got such severe anxiety that blood vessels in his head are popping and, and blood is coming out just like sweat. And at that time... Um, these men come in and grab him and usher him out and arrest him. Now that's where I want to hit pause just for a minute. My whole life, I I don't want to embarrass my father by saying this, but my father is a pastor, and so I'm sure he taught me right, and I just learned wrong. Does that make sense? Uh, I had always envisioned Jesus in this garden and Roman soldiers coming marching into the garden with Judas, and Judas points out Jesus, and the Roman soldiers grab Jesus and arrest him. Now, when I say Roman soldiers, um, imagine like the current policemen. But that's not what happened at all. The Roman soldiers didn't come arrest Jesus. You know the guys with the rooster hat, the, the red? They were not there. The guys, you know, when you see the pictures in the movies and getting whipped by these people with breastplates on and swords. They were not the ones who arrested Jesus. They were not in the garden. When Jesus got arrested, he was arrested by the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was made up of 71 priests. 
Let me reword it. He was arrested by 71 preachers. This is awkward. <laughs> and so there was the leading priest was a guy by the name of Caiaphas. Now Caiaphas was um, nominated. Now let me just say to everybody here, this is a very interesting topic. Okay? Uh, and I just opened up a can of worms to make it more interesting. But now is not the time to start reading your Bible because it's so interesting. All right? Uh, just soak it all in. And now, this is going to be out of the box. When you get home, I know this is a crazy thought, but when you get home, read it. So write on your notes, your notes, read the Bible and you'll be good. All right? So I'm going to talk now because I'm not going to be at home and you can't hear me talk when you get home. So you can read when you get home and you can hear me talk right now. So Caiaphas, he's the leading priest. And now Caiaphas was nominated by the Romans. So the Romans, they run Jerusalem. They run the place. And, and all the Jews, uh, these religious Jewish people, they're being ruled by Romans. Does that make sense? Okay? Uh, and so they don't like being ruled by Romans. They can't stand being ruled by Romans. The Romans don't really like the Jews, and the Jews don't really like the Romans, but the Romans look at the Jews as, hey, you are second-class people, and if you want to be religious, you can be religious, but you just be in order and remember who's boss around here. And that's why the Jews were so excited about Jesus, because they thought Jesus was going to come in and take the Romans and tump them upside down. But, and that's not what happened. And that's why they shifted from Hosanna, Hosanna, to crucify him, crucify him. Did you see how that switched? So the Romans put a guy in charge over the Jewish people called Caiaphas. Said, all right, you're the leading priest and you and all the Jews, you can go to the temple and you can pray and you can worship and you can do whatever you want to do, just behave. Well, Jesus comes along, comes riding in on a donkey, and the crowd is going crazy, and Caiaphas realizes, man, all of these Jewish people, they're getting out of hand. They're all yelling about this guy being the Messiah. Now, if Pilate sees that I can't control the Jews, he's going to be mad at me. Now, Caiaphas lived a sweet life. The reason why uh, the, uh, the Jew, as long as the Jews behaved and he kept the Jews in line, um, then the Romans paid him a really nice, healthy salary. Lived in a beautiful home. Uh, he had his own prison. 
in the basement. Um, He had a courtyard. Peter sat in that courtyard and warmed his hands and watched Jesus get dragged over there. Uh, He had a really nice pad. He had a nice setup. In fact, he was the, uh, the ruler. He was the high priest for 18 years, and usually a high priest is only in his position for four. So he had a good setup. And so now he's seeing all of these Jews are getting behind Jesus. They're waving palm branches. And now Caiaphas, he's getting nervous. And then Jesus really flips him out because he walks into the temple and starts kicking over tables and chairs saying, stop selling animals inside of my temple. Caiaphas is now freaking out. So he calls a meeting with the Sanhedrin, with all the other priests, and says, this guy has got to go. They pull in Judas, pay him, and say, look, you got to tell us where Jesus is, exactly where he's going to be, and we're going to go get him. You got to tell us where he's going to be. They needed a spy. They didn't to know exactly where he was going to be at the right time. And they did it at night during the Passover. Now, during the Passover, it's a huge festival. A huge festival. It's like Mardi Gras. It's a gigantic festival. Um, and it's the Passover. It's when they celebrated the time uh, where uh, they, uh, uh, the angel of death came in and killed uh, all of the firstborn way back in the day when Moses was trying to lead the children of Israel out from away from Pharaoh. And the angel of death passed over all of the houses that had blood on the doorposts. And they passed over those houses, but all the doorposts that didn't have blood, the firstborn was killed. And so every year they celebrate this festival called the Passover because the angels passed over those homes. And so 2.1 million Jews, that is a lot of Jews. I was in Jerusalem. I don't know how that many Jews came from all over the place to Jerusalem to celebrate this Passover. So Jesus is being celebrated by all of these Jews and he's kicking over the tables in Jerusalem at the temple. So uh, Caiaphas says, okay, look, we got to get this guy arrested, but we have to do it at night because if we do it during the day, people are going to go crazy because they're celebrating Jesus as the Messiah. So they get Judas on their side and he says, look, he's always praying and one of his favorite spots is in the Garden of Gethsemane. So these priests go to the garden. They sneak into the garden. They're not even sure. Some of them don't even know which one Jesus is. So Judas says, look, if you would have been at the temple, you would know which one was him. But since you 
are so holy you don't even go to church. See, now I could chase that rabbit. Look, when we walk into the garden, I'm going to walk up to the one that's Jesus and I'm going to kiss him on the cheek. And the one that I kiss, that's Jesus. All right, preachers? Jeez, you hang out in the temple and you don't even know what Jesus looks like. Why? See, now that's when I want to chase rabbits right there. Because you can hang out in the temple, you can hang out in church and not know who he is. And that's why in the last days, people will say, I called you Lord, Lord. But he will look at them and say, I never knew you. Preaching is so much fun. When you, you know, Isaiah was telling me that he was at home and he was reading the Bible about uh, the resurrection. He goes, man, I've never seen this before. And he came and told me, I was like, man, I never saw that either. I got to go home and read that. I just want to encourage you, read your Bible. The thing is awesome. It's a bestseller. It's a bestseller. So anyway, what was I talking about? So, so Jesus is in the garden. They come, J- uh, Judas kisses Jesus and these priests come and grab Jesus and arrest him. Now, Peter is a bad boy saved. Is there any Peters in here? He's the guy that says, look, man, I ain't always been saved, partner. (laughs) Is there any Peters in here that you ain't always been a worshiper? You know? (laughs) Thank you, thank you. And you know, when somebody pushes your buttons, it's kind of like that old person that you thought was dead all of a sudden wakes up. Whoa, I'll tell you what. <laughs> Start acting crazy like you used to. It's like, man, I haven't cussed. It's kind of like that, uh, that old joke I heard about this preacher. Um, uh, was uh, saw this boy standing on the side of the road with a, a lawnmower holding a for sale sign. And the preacher pulled over and said, son, you selling that, that lawnmower? He said, yes, sir, I am. He goes, does it work? Does it run? He said, absolutely it runs. And so he goes, well, before I buy it, let me see if it runs. And so the, the preacher grabbed a hold of the lawnmower and started pulling on it, started pulling on it. And he goes, son, I, I, don't, I don't think it runs. And, and the little boy said, you got to cuss at it. And, and the preacher said, son, I'm a preacher. Uh, I haven't cussed in 20 years. He said, well, keep pulling that string. You'll remember. <laughs> It'll come right back to you. So Peter is in the, the Garden of Gethsemane, and these, these, these preachers come walking in there. And, and Peter's like, oh, you want to take Jesus? Let me tell you what. He pulls out his sword and just, he gets like ghetto on him. 
It's like, man, you can take the boy out of the ghetto. You can't take the ghetto out of the boy. He goes holding the spear sword backwards. Come on. You want a piece of this? Come on. Chops this dude's ear off. Jesus looking like, have you learned anything at all? I went by the shore of Galilee and picked you up out of the gutter. I've been preaching to you every day for three years, and you're still acting a fool. Picks up the ear and puts it back on the guy and just looks at it. Man, Pete, what's wrong with you? Remember I told you I was going to get you guys out of here early? So, so here you're going to have to hear Pastor Lance another day. So, uh, so they, they take him out. These preachers take him out and they take him back to Caiaphas' house. This is where the kangaroo court kicks in. Caiaphas brings in Jesus with these other 71 priests and they hold court right there in the house. Right in the house. And now this is illegal. You can't do this. There's three reasons why it's illegal. You can write them down if you'd like. It was illegal, number one, because it was at night. Jewish trials had to take place during the day. Number two, it took place on a feast day. The Passover was a huge celebration that went over several days. That particular day was a feast day. That's the day we eat a lot. You can't arrest people on a feast day. Amen to that. That's like, you don't arrest people on Thanksgiving. What's wrong with you? It took place in Caiaphas' house. It should have been conducted in the council chamber. You you can't... (laughs) You can, it's like the, 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 the judge pulling you in his home on Thanksgiving and judging you in his living room. What, what's going on around here? This is bogus. This is some kind of kangaroo court. This is in his house at night. It's crazy. So they're... They're standing in his house. Now, his house was in the courtyard of Jerusalem. And and Peter is in that courtyard just outside of his house. He's sitting around the fire. Because in the courtyard, it's kind of like the, like Market Street. So people kind of sold things and hung out all night and There's fires and people are selling things. Peter's out there warming his hands, peeking through the window of Caiaphas' home. Caiaphas says, all right, Jesus, they're about to convict him. They're punching him, ripping his beard, saying, and you can read Mark chapter 14 uh, uh, all about this. They're saying, okay, now prophesy. Who hit you? This is happening 
in Caiaphas's home. This isn't Roman stuff. No, don't read your Bibles. Don't read your Bibles. You got to read it when you get home. So let me just tease you a little bit. Mark chapter 15, verse 1. It says this. Go to 15. Very early in the morning, the leading priests and elders and the teachers of the religious law, the entire high council, met to discuss their next step. They bound Jesus, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. So it was the next morning that they took him to Pilate and the Romans. Now, why did they take him from Caiaphas' house to Pilate? A few reasons why. Number one, they don't have the authority to kill anybody. The Romans do. And they want him dead. Why do they want him dead? Because they're losing control of the Jews. And if Caiaphas loses control of the Jews, then Caiaphas is not doing his job. And the Romans are going to be ticked. Pilate is going to be mad. Because Rome is going to find out that Jerusalem is out of control. They're going to ask Pilate why it's out of control. And he's going to look at Caiaphas and say, Caiaphas, do I not treat you good? Do I not pay you well? You keep those dirty dogs under control. So they have Jesus. They already know they're going to kill him. They're in the house. Before they take him to Pilate, they say, do we have any witnesses to build our case? So they bring in witnesses to testify against Jesus, but none of their testimonies match up. So you got this guy saying something about Jesus, but this guy, when he testifies, it contradicts each other. So they don't have a case. So then they back up and they say, okay, 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 I know what what will work. This will really tick off Pilate. Let's go tell Pilate that Jesus called himself the king of the Jews. Now, that will do it. So they take Jesus after he's already beat up. They bring him before Pilate, and Pilate is saying, guys, I don't have a case here. This guy is innocent. But all of the Jews are screaming, crucify him because they're mad at Jesus because they're not, he's not there to overthrow the government. So now Pilate is feeling pressure from 2.1 million people that's, in, that's there to celebrate. They're all yelling, crucify him. If he doesn't calm these people down, Rome is coming after him. So he backs up. He says, look, how about this? This will calm him down. I'll go get Barabbas, who's a killer, and I know you guys hate Barabbas. If you want somebody freed, if you want someone to die, let's kill Barabbas. But you got to pick one, Jesus or Barabbas. He's thinking, I don't want to kill Jesus. He hasn't done anything. They all say, free Barabbas, kill Jesus. 
Now he has nowhere to go. Check mate. So he backs up and he says, look, I'm just going to wash my hands from this whole deal. Washes his hands publicly and says, if you want to kill him, I'll put my stamp on it because they can't kill him without him. The Jews cannot kill Jesus without the authority from Pilate. And so he looks at the Romans and he looks at the Roman soldiers and says, kill him. Then they take Jesus, who has already been beat up the night before, and they take him, and they stab him, they whip him, they beat him, and they crucify him. But what I want to grab your attention on is before, before Caiaphas took Jesus and brought him to Pilate, they threw him into this huge pit. It was like this cell. See, on Caiaphas's house, you go downstairs, and there's like this 20-foot rock. It's this 20-foot cell, this 20-foot pit. And they threw Jesus down this pit. And they threw Jesus down there, and I stood down there. When I went to Jerusalem about a year and a half ago, and the entire time I was in Jerusalem, there was a lot of people that were getting emotional, and and rightfully so. I didn't really get emotional at all while I was in Jerusalem until I went into that hole. Because that was the hole that he went in before he went to go see Pilate. It was the Thursday night that he was in that hole. And so he's staying in that pit. And if you read Psalm 78, this is homework for you. In fact, I'll read it out loud. These are the thoughts of Christ while he was in that pit. O Lord, God of my salvation. This is is Jesus praying. I cry out to you by day. I come to you at night. Now hear my prayer. Listen to my cry. For my life is full of troubles and death draws near. I am as good as dead, like a strong man with no strength left. They have left me among the dead and I lie like a corpse in the grave. I am forgotten, cut off from your care. This is what he's feeling because you've got to remember everything is thrown upon him. Watch this. You have thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depths. Your anger weighs me down. With wave after wave, you have engulfed me. Watch this. You have driven my friends away by making me repulsive to them. I am in a trap with no way of escape. My eyes are blinded by my tears. Each day I beg for your help, O Lord. I lift my hands to you for mercy. Where are your wonderful deeds of any use to the dead? Do do the dead rise up and praise you? Now, This Psalms 88, 
The tour guide, when I was in Israel, read that while we were in the pit. And I'm sitting there bawling, crying. Now, this is the thought that I'm going to close with. When Paul was speaking to the Galatians, I'm sorry, the Ephesians, he said, when I preach to you, this is the only thing that I pray that you would learn. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. What he's saying here is, I pray that just maybe you'll know how much he loves you. He goes, that's what I pray. I just pray. You know what our our biggest weakness is? It's mine, it's yours. Is we don't know how much he loves us. You know, some of you think that the Lord loves you as much as you love you. And you don't love yourself very much. So imagining that he loves you so much that you can't understand it is even harder for you to grasp because you don't love yourself that much. And so now I want to pray for you that maybe, and I'm going to pray for myself as well, we'll begin to understand and grasp how much he loves us. 